Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. We don't all know history. Some of us really dreaded going to history class, and uh, I have to admit to you that I could not name all of our presidents. Just throwing it out there. Um, we don't all know history. Some of us have dived into Netflix, and we feel like many historians because we started binging like these documentaries on ancient Japan. And your friends are like, that's great that you know about the Ming Dynasty. We just wanted to know if you wanted sushi, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, we don't all know history. Some of us don't even care about history, but we all make history every day. And I know it doesn't seem like that. And I know that every day feels so mundane, so repetitive, so trivial, but here's the truth. Someday someone is going to read about our time in history. They're gonna study us in their classes. They're gonna delve into how we approached the world. They're gonna think how we thought. And they're gonna critique us and they're gonna make fun of our clothing and all of that. It's just gonna happen. And there's this interesting thing that you notice when you start to step outside the lens of your current culture. You start to notice that people in a current of a culture, it's such a powerful current that it can sometimes cause good people to do bad things. Usually it's only from the lens of history or a different generation that people can see how faulty the thinking was. And this is why good people who fought for freedom and revolution, American revolution could also own slaves. And this is why normally logical or compassionate people could somehow vote for a dictator or a tyrant that ended up ruining people's lives and putting people to death. Sometimes there are just these things that, these lenses that we see the world through that are so conditioned by the current of our culture. But every once in a while, there come along people who see the world in a different way. They not only see the world through the lens of the culture that they live in, but they see the world for what it could be and maybe rightly for what it should be. And these are revolutionaries. They are people who yes, feel the same things we feel, and yet there's something inside of them that draws them to something higher. And not all, good, all, not all revolutions are good and not all revolutionaries are good, but every generation is in need of revolution and every generation is in need of revolutionaries. And I wonder when people read back and they look back on our time in history, I wonder what they'll think. No doubt, they'll probably highlight the information age. They'll highlight the technology that increased information and communication and made the world uh, more connected and yet maybe more divided place than ever before. But I also think they'll notice a few things that they kind of scratch their heads out and they say, what were you thinking? Like, didn't you see how this was taking you to a place you didn't want to go? Didn't you see how this was leading you to your own destruction? And I am convinced that one of the ideologies, the, one of the maxims of our day that is going to be confounding to future generations is this concept, live your truth. Live your truth. There's no doubt millions of Pinterest boards that talk about it and YouTube personalities and TikTok influencers that are all around the world sharing how you should live your truth. And at some level, I actually appreciate the concept of authenticity. It's, it's saying live your authentic self. And I, I think if you're gonna choose between a facade and authentic, choose authentic. 
But I think under the surface a little bit, there's probably a deeper motivation, a more personal motivation. It's simply, you don't tell me what to do and I won't tell you what to do. Just live your truth and I'll live mine. And of course, as we're starting to see this bear out its impact upon our culture, we're discovering that living, living your truth is a terrible way to live your life. No one says live your truth to Hitler because, well, his view of truth was radically distorted. But let's even say you're not a maniac murderer. Even you, right? Like your truth 20 years ago might look a little different than it does today. Are there any things that you think a little bit differently about today than you did 20 years ago or 10 years ago? Or how about this, 10 months ago? What were you thinking February of 2020? You did not think the same way you think now. And so living your truth is a, a very interesting road to go down. And what we've been doing throughout this series, I wanna welcome you. If you're watching in Boardman or TCI, watching online with us, or if you're here in Warren, we've been in this series called Let's Talk About That. And the series is really designed to look at sex and sexuality. And I wanted today, I wanna dive into what this maxim that we have made our creed, live your truth, has done to us in this area of sex and sexuality. Because what it has been branded as is freedom and happiness. It's been branded as do what makes you happy, live your truth, pursue autonomy. Don't let anyone make you feel guilty about anything. Which of course, if you really start to dive into, you understand that if you never feel guilt about anything, then you realize that your world is no bigger than you. And so we've dived into this with this idea of freedom and happiness, but what it's actually produced under the hood, so to speak, is confusion, shame, numbness, broken families, fatherless families, divorce. And even as we've dived into throughout this series, it's leading to death. And I don't say those words just to feel super dramatic. I, I say them because I've seen them. I've been a youth pastor now for seven years, but it really only took about seven weeks to realize that this next generation is being fed this and it's producing all kinds of destructive things in them. I've watched the girl cry those tears and feel that shame when she sent that picture to her boyfriend and then he shared it with the entire school. I've watched her cry those tears. I've watched the numbness of the young men that were my friends that were in the hookup culture. And every night they were with someone different. And the only thing that even got them emotional, the only thing that even stirred up any frustration in them was the fact that their girlfriends didn't trust them. Although they were cheating on their girlfriends every night. I've watched the havoc that it wreaks on a young man when he has to ask, why didn't my father want anything to do with me? Right, because the father did what made him happy in the moment, but then when it came to sacrifice and commitment, those things didn't line up with happiness, so he kind of pieced out. And I've watched those people deal with that. I've watched the ramifications of it. I've watched the broken families. I've, I've seen the studies of what's happening long-term that it's leading to death. And so, I wonder, what is it we're really getting here? Is it what we think we're getting when we say, live your truth? And so this whole series, what we've been talking about is that there was a revolutionary 2,000 years ago. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And he came with this revolutionary message about the kingdom of God, which is this overarching kingdom that is so much bigger than any area, but it engrosses every area. 
including sex and sexuality. He taught this ethic that was all about valuing other people, even above yourself, sacrificing your life for others, for the good of others. It was this revolutionary concept. And throughout this series, Pastor Joe has masterfully broken down what it looks like to live by the ethic of Jesus, what it looks like to navigate it as followers of Jesus. How do we approach this topic of sex and sexuality through the lens of a follower of Jesus as we raise our families, as we do life? And what I've noticed is that when you start to understand the reality of what Jesus and his earliest followers taught, you start to notice that it's definitely different. It's counterculture to what the culture was back then. And it's definitely counterculture to what the culture is now. And so I've noticed that there are two diverging pitfalls that people that are followers of Jesus can fall into. The first is that you look at Jesus' teachings and you think that they have some value, but they're incomplete. And you say, Jesus was probably teaching on a trajectory And this trajectory, if it would have reached 2000 years later, it would have kind of been more worth aligned with where we are today. Because Jesus was very, uh, he was very progressive and Jesus was very countercultural. And so there's no way that Jesus would have ever taught the same things he taught then, now, or his earliest followers, they wouldn't have done that. And so what you start to do is you embrace the values of the world. You approach sex and sexuality the same way, except you just have a Christian label on. And of course, here's the danger of this. And we all know this that if you do the same things that the world does, even with a different label, you'll get the same results the world gets. And your kids will grow up no different than their friends that aren't Christians because, well, they're getting the same type of approach to life. But even on a larger scale, and this is maybe my greater concern, is that when we are no different from the world, we can make no difference in the world. That if we are in no ways different or any shades or complexities that are different from the world around us, we can never create the friction or the traction that it takes to create real and good change. And so maybe you've kind of become one of those people that is convinced that, okay, the teachings of Jesus are correct. This is truth. We've got to live this out. But then there's another pitfall, I think, that you can fall into. And this is one, especially for people who grow up in church or who have maybe been radically saved, it can easily fall into. And that is you embrace the value of Jesus, but then you forget the value of people. And in the name of spirituality and in the name of Jesus, you begin to reject people, you hate people, you condemn people, you judge people. Now you might have spiritual terms for it, but before God, that's exactly what it is. And so if the other group of people were in the world and of the world, you're not of the world, but you're also not in the world. You've removed yourself. You've become irrelevant to the world that you're trying to reach. And these are these pitfalls that can so easily happen. But I believe, I'm convinced that there is a third way. It's it's a narrow, it's a slim road. It's a narrow path. But I really believe that this is the road to revolution that this is the road that Jesus walked. And this is the road that you are invited to walk as well. Because every generation needs a revolution and every generation needs revolutionaries. I wanna look at one of the apostles, his name is John, and he was one of Jesus' closest friends. He wrote an account of Jesus' life. And what's so cool about John is John wrote this when he was an older man, but 
he met Jesus probably at the age of around 17 years old. He was a young man and he got to travel around with Jesus. He, he was actually called Jesus' best friend. He, he was someone that rode in the same boats as Jesus. He was there when Jesus calmed the storms and calmed the sea. And he was at the dinner parties with Jesus when Jesus was talking to the religious leaders and totally blowing up their world. It was, I mean, he was with Jesus for all of that stuff. And when John was an older man, he wrote an account of Jesus' life. And when he starts this account, he doesn't start it talking about his best friend. He starts about talking about Jesus in a very different way. This is what John chapter one, verse one says. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. John makes a very important claim right at the very beginning, verse one of chapter one of his entire account, that Jesus is more than a genius, that Jesus is more than just a moral man or a good teacher, that Jesus is more than just a religious founder. He makes this claim that Jesus is the originator, that Jesus has always been and always will be. In other words, Jesus is God. And this is of dramatic importance for our lives because if Jesus is just another good teacher, then his thoughts can go on the same level as all other good teachers or all other thought leaders. But if Jesus is God, if he's always existed, if he always uh, intended to create, and if he is the originator of all things, then he understands reality and creation better than anyone else. And he can help us live according to reality better than anyone else. And it's interesting, John uses this phrase, he calls Jesus the word. And, and the word really is a communication, right? Jesus was God's communication to humanity. He was the exact representation of God. In fact, we know this, that Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father. So if you wanna know what God is like, look no further than Jesus. He's the word. And I am convinced that Jesus spent his life trying to show people what it meant to really live. That Jesus was consumed with helping people understand that they had embraced something that was far beneath what God had ever intended for them. And in this way, I really believe that Jesus is like an Italian grandma. <laughs> I know you probably did not expect me to say that. I, I am half Italian. I have two Italian grandmas, one who has uh, since gone on to be with Jesus. And one thing I can tell you about Italians, if there are any Italians in here or watching online, uh, I know in Boardman there are some, that Italians take their food very seriously. It is not just a matter of like, hey, you got that recipe right or you got it wrong. No, it is like when Italians eat food, their goal is to transcend you into an alternate plane, an alternate existence where you are more fully alive. Like this is the goal of every Italian grandma. And I'm almost... I'm almost convinced that they made it work, that they actually found a way to get to like a spiritual plane. But maybe for instance, you've never had Italian food before. I know it's crazy, it blows my mind, but maybe you've never had Italian food before. And I, I invite you over to my house and I say, I'm gonna get you some Italian food. And, and when I invite you over, I'm cooking and I'm kind of in conversation. And then I bring out this beautiful plate. And on this plate, I have presented to you SpaghettiOs. <laughs> and then... To top it off, I threw a little bit of Chef Boyardee in there. Now, the first thing that would happen is that my living grandma would fly all the way from Chicago, slap me on the back of the head, 
Do it one more time and then head back. My grandma, who's since passed on, she'd probably be rolling over in her grave. But then the next thing that would happen is that you would start to think, hmm, Italian food must not be very good. No offense if you work at SpaghettiOs. See, technically speaking, I think, the composition of SpaghettiOs and Chef Boyardee is Italian food, technically. But if I say to you, eat some Italian food, and then I give you SpaghettiOs, it is vastly undershooting the brilliance of when grandma loads up your plate with homemade spaghetti and homemade sauce, and then just starts scooping meatballs. And you're like, grandma, I've already had two plates. She's like, perfect. Let me just keep it going. And I, I'm just convinced that Jesus was walking around with spiritual Italian meatballs, just showing people that you think you've been living, but let me show you what it means to really live. And this is why Jesus taught the way he did and acted the way he did, because he was showing people that you've been existing, but I wanna show you what it means to really live. Everything God commands, he commands for human flourishing. It's behind everything he wants. It's because God likes people and he wants people to enjoy life. And so Jesus went around showing people what it meant to really live. But of course, we're stubborn, we all are. And people rejected Jesus. Look what it goes on to say. It says, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. So the word became human and made his home among us. And I want you to zone in on this. This is the centerpiece of everything that's happening today. He was full of grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. So when God became flesh, when God became the communication, the word to humanity, he was full of grace and truth. Truth is simply, most of us are pretty aware, it's what's in accordance with reality. Truth is what actually is. And this is why the concept of your truth doesn't exist if there is such a thing as the truth, because if there's such a thing as the truth and your truth doesn't line up with it, then it's just really your delusion. And so the truth is what Jesus came full of. But then he also came full of this thing called grace. And grace is like this unfailing love of God. It's this gift in favor of God for people that don't deserve it. The best way I could illustrate grace to you is like you're speeding, you get pulled over by a cop. The cop gets out of his car and hands you $100 and then drives away. That is grace. And Jesus, he didn't come with grace or truth or, no, Jesus came full of grace and truth. And this was the message of Jesus. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God, revealing to the world that God actually interacted with people full of grace and full of truth. And this is huge because See, all of us need grace and all of us need the truth, but I'm convinced of this, that truth is only good if there's grace and grace is only good if there's truth. See, the truth is that we are all people who have fallen short of God's standard. Let's be honest, we've all fallen short of our own standards. In other words, God is a God of perfection and justice. And at some point in our life, we have all entered into injustice. We are all on the wrong side of injustice. That's the truth. But what I'm so thankful for is that the truth also contains this bridge of grace. 
which is that Jesus came fulfilling the requirements of justice in his life, his life of perfection, so that it could be attributed to us what we didn't deserve. This is like Jesus winning the medal of honor and then allowing us to wear it and brag about the deeds as if they were our own. That is the truth that involves grace. But grace is only good if there's truth, right? Because Jesus did something because he needed to do something. Jesus had to die. It wasn't just like he was just feeling it. Trust me, he wasn't. But he realized that we were all in a state of needing a savior, needing someone to step in. And that's why he offered grace. Grace is only good if there's truth and truth is only good if there's grace. And when it comes to how we approach a world that does not see things the way we see them, it is vital that we understand that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And here's where that revolutionary concept goes from back then to right now. Because as John concludes his book in John chapter 20, it's the second to last chapter of the entire book. As John concludes this book, look what he has Jesus, what he quotes Jesus as saying. He says, this is Jesus speaking. As the father has sent me, so I am sending you. In other words, the one who was sent full of grace and truth is now sending you as an ambassador of grace and truth. That if we are to follow Jesus' example, it will be because we live lives that are full of grace and they are full of truth. And this is a radical notion because it means a lot of things for us. It means that we might have to confront those areas in our lives where we haven't really embraced truth, or let's be honest, where we haven't really embraced grace. This is radical when you look at how Jesus used this in application. There's this story of this woman who's caught in adultery. So yes, she's falling short of the standard of what God said sexuality is. And this woman gets caught in adultery and she's brought to Jesus by these religious people that are trying to get Jesus trapped. And so they say to Jesus, you know, the law says she deserves to be stoned. What do you say? And you, it's like trying to fight with Bruce Lee. Don't do it. Like, it's just a bad choice. Like people come to trap Jesus and he always turns it around on them with like a question. And Jesus says, okay, sure, sure. Uh, why don't you, whoever is without sin, why don't you go ahead and throw the first stone? And then he just like sits down and starts writing in the ground. Theologians for centuries have been trying to figure out what he writes. No one actually knows. But one by one, it's like a joke that kicks in when you're driving home. Like you hear it and then you're like, oh, that's funny. One by one, these people start to leave. It starts with the oldest. Why? Because, well, older people were a little more aware of our faults. And so one by one, the older people start to leave and then the younger, and then it's just Jesus and this woman. And here's what he says to her. He said, where'd they all go? They don't condemn you anymore? He said, okay, cool. Neither do I. And so what does he do in that moment? He shields her. He protects her. He shows her grace. Did she deserve it? Probably not. He shows her unfailing love. But then check this out. Look what he does. He says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. It's grace and it's truth. He offers protection, then he offers direction. He offers connection, then he offers correction. Jesus lived full of grace and truth and he has sent us to be ambassadors of grace and truth. Think about the story of Christopher Yuan and Christopher Yuan wrote a book called Holy Sexuality. 
And I encourage you to read it if this subject is fascinating to you. Most people don't associate those two words. They think if sex exists, it's because God didn't know it was gonna happen. He got surprised by it. You know, it doesn't seem like a very holy thing. And God's like, uh, I invented it, okay? So Christopher, when he was a young man, he came out to his parents that he was gay. And his parents were not Christians. And they did what I'm sure would have been his worst nightmare. They rejected him. They flat out denied him and, and they pushed him out of, of their house. And as much as I'm sure that would be absolutely devastating, he said it also gave him a sense of freedom because he could now finally live his truth. He could live according to who he felt he really was. And so he began to live a lifestyle of promiscuity and he began to live a lifestyle that for him led him into being a, a supplier for drug dealers. And he would say, look, not every gay person supplies drugs for people, but he said, that's just where my story took me. And as he's going on in this lifestyle, it begins to just get out and more and more out of control. And he finds himself in prison. And when he gets to prison, he, he discovers that he has HIV. He, he tests positive for HIV. And he says, it's the low moment of my life. But while all of this was happening, while he is in the midst of this lifestyle, his parents actually become followers of Jesus. They become Christians. And popular to contrary, or contrary to popular belief, it's actually their conversion to Christianity that causes them to realize we've been mistreating our son. See, the love of Jesus so radically real, showed them how God had loved them in their worst or how God had loved them when they weren't perfect. And it caused them to realize, you know what? I need to love our son. We need to get back to a place where we actually build relationship with our son. So they began to do that. And then the mom also began to do something very powerful. She began to pray. She began to pray for her son. And it's interesting when he talks about this, he says, her main prayers were actually not for my lifestyle or my sexuality. He says, her main prayers were for what I needed most, which was Jesus. And I think sometimes it's easy for us to miss this as Christians because we really do genuinely believe it. I believe this with all my heart that the morality that God has given us, every command he's given us, it is actually designed to equip human flourishing. So therefore, I believe that if in our nation, we lived according to the morality of Jesus, that our nation would look a whole lot better. I'm convinced of that. I believe that. But our mission is not to mandate our morality on the world around us. In other words, our mission is not to say to Christians who aren't, you know, people who aren't Christians say, hey, start living like Jesus and then you'll be ready for Jesus. Our mission is not to mandate morality. It is actually to share a message of mercy. And so, yes, we believe this is best for someone, but we are going to lead and lean in with a, a note and a hope of mercy. And this is where his mom just started praying. I just pray that he would have Jesus. And we really believe that, that no matter where you find yourself, that it's not about you fixing yourself before you come to church or come to Jesus. It's all about coming to Jesus and allowing him to really honestly turn your world upside down in every area of your life. Jesus, he starts working on the stuff you didn't even know there was stuff to work on. And so Christopher had his mom praying for him like this and this prayer was answered in prison. 
because Christopher was sitting in his prison cell one day and he looked up at his bunk and he saw this phrase that said, Bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. And many of you know that verse. It talks about how God doesn't have plans for harm for you, but actually plans for hope in a future. And Christopher was captivated by this and he began to read the Bible more and more. In fact, he began to just consume the Bible more and more. And he talked about this thing that happened inside of him. He said, you know what? I began to just consume scripture and there came this point where I realized that I had placed my identity in all of the wrong things. I had placed it in being gay or ex-gay or straight. And he realized that, no, there was only one place that could ever satisfy my identity and really help me understand who I am. And that is being in Jesus Christ. So because of this, Christopher, he became a Christian. He became a follower of Jesus. He found his identity in Jesus. And, and that meant some difficult things for him. It meant submitting to the teachings of Jesus in his life. And so that was a process for him, but he, he was willing to do it. He started going to seminary. He started studying. In fact, now him and his parents, they actually travel around the world teaching what holy sexuality looks like to an entire generation. Why? Because a mom was radically touched by the love of Jesus and it caused her to rethink how I approach my son. And she said, I'm going to approach him with grace and truth. And so today you are on the precipice of the next phase of history. And maybe you don't feel like you have what it takes to change history, but let me tell you this, that you can change the history for your children or your children's children. That someday someone who is related to you in a family tree can look back and say, you know what? I'm so thankful that my mom or my parents or my grandparents or my great, great grandparents, they were revolutionaries that approached the world in such a powerful way that they actually created change in the world. They started to alleviate the brokenness and started to bring healing and started to see wholeness in families and in our sex and sexuality. And so you are invited because every generation needs revolution and every generation needs revolutionaries who are full of what Jesus was full of, which was grace and truth. Would you guys pray with me today? God, the truth is that I need your grace. I don't need it any less today than on the very first day I met you. I need it more today than ever before. And that's the truth. God, I pray that as people are listening from wherever they are, whether it's TCI, online, at one of our physical locations, I'm praying that through the power of your spirit that you would speak to their hearts, that God, you would help them wrestle with the tensions that you've created today that God, if some of them feel very far from you, that you would draw them in with your loving kindness. And God, if some of them feel very far from people because of what they've done or because of how they've treated others, I'm praying that today you would just give us a grace to carry forward this message of mercy. God, I'm asking for your church as a whole that you would give us wisdom in how to say things. Give us a wisdom in how to, to say the right word in due season. Help us to be anchors of truth, but to bring it about through a means of grace. As we stay in this attitude of prayer, some of you 
the thing you need most right now is Jesus. You know, Jesus talked about this idea that there is a kingdom. And Jesus' mission was really to bring the kingdom of God to humanity. It's an intersection of heaven and earth. In other words, he wasn't just trying to get people out of hell into heaven. He was trying to get heaven into people. And maybe as you've been listening today, there's been something inside of you that says, you know what? I need Jesus. I want you to know that that is God's relentless love pursuing you. And he might've been speaking to you in a way that was even different from the words I was speaking, but I want you to know he is drawing you to himself because he loves you. He cares for you. He wants a relationship for, for, with you and he wants the best for you. So what we're gonna do in just a moment is we're going to invite you to pray a prayer. It's a prayer that really uh, conveys to God what's going on in our hearts. Jesus made it very clear that, look, if you're willing to accept my perfect life for your life and accept the death that I died for you, that you can have eternal life with me. So the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. And I wanna give you an opportunity to be saved today. I wanna give you an opportunity to come into the kingdom of God and let Jesus transform your life from the inside out in the best way possible. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna pray every campus, everywhere. I don't care if you got kids running around right now, take the, take the phone into a different room. Because right now is a moment where you can catalyze a transformational work in your heart as God makes you born again. So as we pray this together, no one will pray it alone. Church, would you help me say this? And if you're praying from your heart, I want you to know that God hears you and you will be saved. Church, say this, say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I've fallen short. But right now, I make a decision, a commitment to follow you. Jesus, I believe you're God. You lived the perfect life. You died the death I was supposed to die so I could have life with you forever. Today, I'm yours forevermore. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.